But that doesn't necessarily mean there's not still deals out there. You just got to maybe go kiss a few more frogs. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Reed Goosens. Reed, how are you doing today? Good, mate. Long time no see. How are things? Yeah, things are good. Uh, yeah, it's it's been a little while. Not not too long. I think we saw each other, what, maybe it was in uh, best February ever? at the best yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah good yeah. times. Uh, and you, Reed's been on the show. Uh, I should have looked up, should have looked the number uh, episode up, but I bet it was, man, I mean, I'm I'm around like 500 now. I bet wow. you were on in like 150 or so. So That's it's, insane. It, yeah, it's been a while. So I thought it'd be minute. fun to have you back on the show. A lot of stuff has changed. Uh, I'll give a short background about Reed and then Reed, I'll let you kind of take it from there. So uh, for those of you who don't remember, Reed moved uh, from the U.S. in or to the U.S., sorry, from Australia in 2012 to pursue a career in structural engineering. How's that career going, by the way, in structural it's, engineering? It's, it's long gone. Uh, Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, structural engineering to real estate investing. Um, and with, you know, your story is the, is the, the guy who, you know, came from a different country, limited funds, no credit, and then started buying, you know, duplexes and, and uh, growing this real estate uh, company. And, and it's pretty impressive of what you've done. And so I guess really with that said, I don't want to belabor it because people can go back to uh, the earlier episode, but let's, why don't you take us maybe a, a little bit of background, but then kind of fast forward us to what you're doing right now, kind of the, ch- the changes that you've, you've gone through. Yeah, man. Um, look, you, you, you're right. Moved here and the whole shtick is, I, I started had a, had a curiosity that I wanted to scratch and just started going at it right and and I, I I'm very fortunate to have a structural engineering background because it helped me get into corporate gigs that allowed me to grow my knowledge. I, I worked for big developers in New York City and in LA before I got my green card and could go full time with real estate investing. But you know, the message for for me is like if you know if I can do it, so can so can the average American. And and hopefully I've got some stories along the, this you know this interview that I can share with people, little tidbits that help me keep the ball moving forward as you sort of build towards that that entrepreneurial dream of being your own boss. Um, but yeah, so I did start another company which you you know of uh, Wildhorn Capital, which was we started that back in probably 16, 17. We bought a ton of ton of deals. Uh, good friend of mine, Andrew Campbell. Um, we got to a point where we probably set, saw different visions and, and I've now pivoted out of that company and, and starting sort of Reed Goosens 2.0, um, which is a company called RSN Property Group. It's always been around um, since the inception, um, but, you know, the last sort of six or seven years have been under the Wildhorn flag. It's now uh, now 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 under RSN and, and sort of going off in just a slightly different direction. And, and, and really the impetus to that was just to, you know, try and do deals in other markets, right? Offer a little bit of geographical diversification and, Sometimes you know you, you, partnerships are awesome and they're great when you start, but you know as you grow, they're like any they're in like any human relationship. You you evolve as individuals and you want different things in life, and that's okay as well. Like it, you know, it's like mum and dad still love each other, but you you got it. You got, you're better off you're better off apart. But you know, we we, we still remain good mates today, and and it created an awesome foundation of what I've you know net worth wise, um, liquidity, all that sort of experience. 
Um, but now it's uh, sort of, you know, as leading the ship in, in my sort of my own um, visionary role uh, at RSN, it's now trying to take down deals in other markets and, and, and identify the key, the key things that I've built, you know, at Wildhorn and, and built in the portfolio and just applied in, in different parts of the country. So, yeah. Love it. Um, it why, why you guys were in um, Austin, Texas, mainly some mm-hmm. San Antonio as well. Mm-hmm. What was the, what was the decision or the reason to try different parts of the country? Was it, was it just diversification or what was there, was there other reasons for it? Well, like, you know, I, I was getting on, I live in LA for those people who don't mm-hmm. know, I get on a plane all the time, right? I'm, I'm flying to Austin's two, two and a half, three hours. Yeah. You cover a lot of markets in that time. You know what I mean? Uh, Phoenix being one of them, always had my eye on Phoenix. Actually, before I went and started doing deals in, in San Antonio, I actually was heavily, this is back in 2015, was heavily looking in Phoenix and probably should have started there because it's closer to my back, you know, my backyard. But, yep. um, you know, I just entered that market, just bought a deal in Mesa, Arizona uh, earlier this year and back, back in July. So got got started. But again, just really trying to see different uh, commonalities, you know, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of companies who do what we do, you know, based in New York City, LA, San Francisco, that do deals across the country. You know, I I, I was I'm no different. Um, I guess also the lens of coming to America, you know, having that I've already come here, I already get on a plane. Like I, I can see the similarities in the different markets that I that I look at. So you know, if you walk a 1980s vintage building in San Antonio, Texas, okay. I know pretty much what the demographic is going to be if I see a you know a Popeyes or a Sprint mobile store or, or you know Cricket mobile store. I can understand this the, you know the, the structural element of the buildings because um, you know I'm just a structural engineer. That's what I know. And and then you just look at the demographic, and that's all those metrics start to play out in different markets. And if you yeah. sort of going into growth markets, not that I'm not saying real estate is local, and I and I don't want to take that away from it. But as you're buying multifamily. The, the the four and a half five caps in San Antonio smell and look exactly the same in Texas as uh, in, in in Arizona look exactly the same as in Florida look exactly the same as in you know in South Carolina like you're buying probably with effective rents of eight nine hundred bucks you're trying to push them to thirteen fourteen hundred dollars you're probably buying it like a four four and a half cap um, again my average demographic is going to be between forty five and sixty thousand dollar household incomes the garden style, you know, built in the seventies or eighties. I know the product they're going to buy. Some will have chillers, some will have individual HVAC, some will have aluminum wiring, some will need pigtailing. Like you just, it just all starts yeah. to like That's click. Funny. Right. Um, so, so that, that was, that was really more the, the impetus to, 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 to broaden the horizon a little bit. <laughs> That's cool. Um, since leaving wild Horn, I know you've, you've taken down a couple deals, uh, what what's your kind of take on on this on the market? What's happening right now? I mean, a lot of people are a little nervous. There's I know there's some companies that are pencils down. There's a lot that are still uh, trying to take advantage of whatever opportunity they feel they can find. Obviously, you're still buying deals. Let's let's talk about that. What's going on in the market in mm-hmm. your mind? And you know, why do you feel confident in still taking down deals? I. I think this is a great time to take down deals because there's less there's less competition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I've always been a guy that I don't just enter a market and be like, oh, I'm just going to go buy a deal in Phoenix, right? It just yeah. that doesn't happen. Like, I've spent a thought of, a long period of time underwriting deals in certain markets to get my um, to 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 really get 
an understanding of what I'm buying, right? Am I buying it at a good price per pound? Am I buying, what are the expense ratios? What are, where's the, 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 the rental trend going? Um, back to the sort of similar, similar uh, metrics that you use for any deal. So I think in general, as you, you know, I've, I've probably underwritten 40 or 50 deals in Phoenix and probably 30 or 40 deals in Greenville, South Carolina. And you just start getting a you know, like a sixth sense about what deals look like. You can quickly understand. Okay, what's that? What, what do they want for it? Okay, right, what's the price per pound? Does it feel right? Does it smell right? Okay, what about yeah? And then so if that, if all that's still you're the same, and I can still the the, funda, the fundamentals of real estate still remain the same. People are still looking for you know affordable housing. Um, interest rates are going up, so so less people are probably going to buy new homes. And the cost of construction is going up as well. So, you know, new product is even harder to build. So I still think there's a fundamental element of the real estate is still very, very strong. But then couple that with people who get a little nervous that you know, interest rates have gone crazy and it's, it's unprecedented. But that doesn't necessarily mean there's not still deals out there. You just got to maybe go kiss a few more frogs. So for me, it's 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 less competition and, and you're still getting to see more product and, and, and still believing in the underlying real estate. Yeah, definitely. What do you what are you looking for? What's a good deal? What are you looking for in a good deal? I think what I mentioned earlier, you know, yeah. um buying coming in eight fifty, nine hundred dollar rents in place. You want to look at the average household income. I want it to be probably north of seventy thousand dollars a door. Uh so when you do the math on like a third of that income can go to rent. Well, that's mm-hmm. you know, that's well over sixteen hundred dollar rents, right? They could afford if the, the, the you know if the the in-place rents of a certain property of eight, 900 bucks. Well, even if I bring them up to 12 or $1,300, which is a 30% increase, it's still well below what it cost, you know, what the average person earns in that, you know, one, two mile radius. Yeah. We'll look at house prices. You know, I want, to, I want house prices to be north of $400,000, right? Again, because if you take a mortgage out on a $400,000 house, it's probably going to equate to roughly around a $1,300, $1,400 mortgage payment, Right you know, habitual renters, people don't always have the time to save for those houses. So uh, they want to live in good areas. And then the last thing is on the good areas of school districts. You want to be in good school districts. Um, so household income, school districts, um, in-place rents are you know, relatively low compared to what the average uh, sub, you know, household income can afford. Um, if all those sort of tick the box, then it's like, well, that's past the first litmus test. Let's look at the actual asset itself. What's going on with it? Why is it Why is it for sale? What are they trying to sell it for on a price per pound? Um, does that match up to what I'm you know, what I think the market is based on all my data that I've collected from, you know, underwriting other deals. And then what do I want to sell it for in four or five years time? Do I believe the value is still going to be created? You know, if I'm picking up at a four and a half cap today. And I, what, what, what's my exit cap rate? It's probably going to be a five and a half cap rate, you know, down five years time. So, yeah. you know, being cautious. And then the other big thing is, is leverage, right? I think so many people have got burnt and there's been retrades and, you know, people going back to sellers. I was involved in a deal with, you know, still with Wildhorn that the deal blew up because the guy put it under contract probably took too much leverage and couldn't raise the capital. Um, mm. My deal in in Phoenix just recently, um, the bank offered me $27 million on, um, you know, total, right? On the loan. That's, I think that was roughly a 75% loan to cost or 80% loan to cost. I only underwrote to $25 million. So as interest rates started going up, it started chipping away at my, um, my, 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 my proceeds. Well, I ended up closing that deal with actually $25.5 million, which was $500,000 more than what I needed. And it was no, there was no problem. So 
I think the, the the gone are the days where you're gonna get you're gonna come in with eighty percent on the purchase and then one hundred percent capex. Like, yeah. I've never underwritten to that even from day one. I've always tried to underwrite, you know, roughly around 65, 70% on the purchase and maybe 75% on the CapEx. And the reason I do that is just you're raising more money, but then you've got more money to control if something goes wrong. Yeah. You're not you're not flying super close to the sun. So I think that's, that's where- a good, That's a good point. I mean, it, explain what you mean by you're not flying too close to the sun to our, to our listeners, just, just so everybody yep. grasps what you're saying. So when you're coming in and your interest rates are going to be- you know, higher than what your cap rate is, right? And, and, and a lot of people have bought that, including myself, because you're adding value, right? Because again, go back to in-place rents. If my rents are at eight, 900 bucks, my cap rate's going to be a certain rate compared to where I want to push it to in, when they're thirteen, fourteen hundred $1,400 rent. So there's a, yep. there's a stabilized cap rate and an entrance cap rate. So when you have a disparity and say you're getting a four and a half cap, but you get interest rates at five, well, you're technically negative, right? So your cash flow might is probably going to be negative coming out of the gate, or it's going to be, it's going to be very weak until you get your, your value add going. So if your leverage is super high, then there's a high barrier to jump on your debt service, right? So if you can lower that leverage down, it's a lower barrier to jump, which means it allows the property to cash flow easier, mm-hmm. and you're not hamstrung by um, by that high debt. So it all comes down to how you manage the cash flow. So it means you're probably raising money on capex. It means you're probably raising working capital account in, in terms of um, your 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 raise. So it's all it's money that will obviously lower the IRR, but you then don't take on as much proceeds, and that keeps you in a little bit safer position than someone who is at that 85, 90% leverage and is like, oh my gosh, I can't even pay the debt yeah. because I'm coming in sort of in that you know upside down. Uh, interest rates versus cap rates. Yeah, that that's so important, and, and I, that's something that I think a lot of I don't know how many people do it, but it, but I know it's happening where they're trying to leverage as high as they can, and they're putting in the other thing I see uh, they're putting in the lowest amount of reserves as possible to try to push the IRR to make it look more attractive. And I don't know about you, but uh, I mean IRR sells to an extent, but but it really doesn't as, you know, if, if, if I present a, an IRR of 15 to my investors versus an IRR of 18, I'm not going to fill the 18 that much faster. It's just not hmm. going to happen. Interesting. And I don't know if, if you feel the same way or not, but my investors are looking for, they're, they're trusting what my judgment is, right? And I'm sure your investors are trusting your judgment, how you operate your business. And if you're flying closer to the sun, as you said, that's going to take away some of that trust. And eventually it's going to burn you. And that's really going to ruin your trust. So I, I, right. I would rather have lower looking IRR than trying to push it really hard. No, that's, and that's exactly right. And the other things you can do that people have done in the past historically, and I'm not saying recently, but maybe go back three or four years ago, they were doing refis come year three, mm. right? I, 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 mm. I think if you see a refi in a calculation, don't, like run the other way. I'm not saying yeah. that's because if you're buying an asset that is 90% full today and it's you know light medium to light value add, you aren't going to create 50% yeah. value to yeah. then go and pay off 60, 50, 60% of your, your investors. The max I've seen in my deals is maybe 10 to 15% on a refi that you can give back in terms of equity give back, you know, maybe 20% on the high end if you do a really good job. Again, if it's already stable, it's already somewhat cash flowing it's it's hard to then push it 
um, that 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 next sort of next next level. A little rule of thumb that I always look at is, do I believe in the the fifty percent valuation growth? So if I'm buying an asset at hundred k a door, do I believe I can sell it for one fifty a door? You know, in five years time, so ten percent sure. growth a year. So again, if you're going back to that adage of someone's going to come and take out eighty percent of equity come year three, well, how much have they got to push that value? to get mm-hmm. that 80% pullout, knowing the bank won't give them a dollar on every value that they yeah. create, right? Yeah. So it goes back to the overall vision of like, well, what does this operator think I'm going to be able to push the value over a five-year period? And you know, I, my, I've underwritten thousands of deals. Rule of thumb is roughly a 50% value. So if I'm buying at 200K a door, I'm selling at 300K a door. If I'm buying at you know, 70K a door, I'm selling at 140K a door. Like that sort of, I know I can back into a mid-15 IRR return for my investors. And if I believe that, on a ex- exit cap rate expansion of 100 points, then I feel good about, and I believe in my growth in, in, yep. in the rent, then, then I know I can hit that mid-teen IRR and I don't need to refi. I don't need to put any extra stress on the property. I don't need to go get too much leverage and I can just be a, you know straight down the fairway. And, and to your point, an investor swallowing a 14 or 15% IRR, when they have that trust in an operator like you or, or myself, versus a 17, 18 IRR and they've got the refis in there and the 80% leverage, that's what's like, oh, that's that's a little scary. So yeah. The fairway got me thinking of golf, right? It's yep. it's the the you're gonna swing for the fences. You're gonna hit that ball and you're gonna smash that thing and it's gonna go 300 yards. <laughs> but I don't know if it's gonna hook or slice or what's mm-hmm. going to happen to it. That thing might go straight down the fairway, but it might go left, right, or just right into the drink where mm-hmm. if you just pull up a little bit and just give a nice, nice steady swing, it's only going 225, but it's going to be right down the fairway. Right. That's exactly right. Love yep. it. And I'm not a golfer. So yeah, you know. <laughs> neither, neither <laughs> am I. Thank gosh. Thank another person who's not a golfer. I, I, um, I'm a hack at the best of times. Uh, me too. Me too. Um, you know, so you're with Wildhorn now, uh, RSN. What I don't, I, without, obviously I'm not asking you to throw Wildhorn out of, out of the bus because you built that company. You like, you like, uh, you know, the company, the guys still. And so I'm not asking you that, but what I'm asking you is you've learned lessons along the way and you guys started off green. I mean, when, when you guys mm-hmm. both started the you super green. first deal together, I mean, right? so green. big deal, <laughs> right? Super green. I mean, and again, listeners can go back and hear both Andrew and you on the podcast and listen to the story. So, but my, my question is, You've learned a lot of lessons. You took a lot of bumps mm-hmm. and bruises. What are you doing, knowing those lessons now? Mm-hmm. What are you doing differently this time? Maybe pick, I'm sure you're doing many things differently, but what are you mm-hmm. doing this time to, I guess, and it's, again, it's not really starting, right? Because the same, you're doing the same thing, just, just yeah. different. But how are you building it differently this time? Maybe some lessons that you took. Look, I think in the beginning, if you break it down to what partnerships happen in the beginning, right? You, I, both Andrew and I were working full time when we met each other. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I, I didn't quit my day job until we had four. I'd led four syndications. It was four. Know, wow, four. And then that was coinciding with my green card and everything. But that, but you do the reason you do that is because no one, you don't, you don't just, you're not just sitting on a lot of cash to go out and yeah. hire people. 
now as I've got a few runs on the board and got some money in the bank, I can go hire those good, those good team members and I'm letting go of that vine a little quicker. Mm. So that's what I've, you know, I don't, the control part of, you know, uh, sort of investment, you know, uh, operator, you know, chief investment operator and always making sure that we're checking the deals and making sure they're right. But bringing on team members that can help me run at a different pace. I remember interviewing um, uh, Brandon Turner on my show and he talked about sort of the four steps of becoming your better self. And he talked about DIY, right? You know, when you get your first house, you're yeah. probably changing the toilet and yeah. you know, doing paint. And then you go to project manager. You may be overseeing, you know, the, 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 the GC. And then you got chief operating officer, right? And so that was really where I was with Wildon. Even though I founded it, I was a chief operating officer. Then you have the architect. And I needed to transition from that chief operating officer to the architect. And that was just... Sometimes you need to go buy your own ranch, if that you know that makes sense. So yep. there was no, you know, malice or you know it, it was it was tough to to say I got to walk away, but it was also you know I know in ten years time I'll look back and say that was a really awesome decision, and we've still you know maintained a friendship and um, and learned a ton of lessons. You know, I, again go back to built the net worth, built the experience together, and 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 now I can go off and do the dreams I want to do. You know go to the markets I want to go to and and we that's that's okay you know like the, the thing so many people are think that the the partnership or the breakup is is bad but it's just ultimately we're evolving as human beings and that's you succumb to that expectation mm-hmm. things all the anxiety you know, melts away it's it's completely fine so Love it. Yeah. what what's a you know you guys did a ton of deals and you're still doing deals whether it's with Wildhorn, whether it's now, whether it's even before Wildhorn, what's the one of the like a couple big lessons that you've learned that you know maybe you look back at and you laugh and go, <laughs> but what what are some of those big lessons that you learned? Maybe we'll start with one, I guess. Maybe we'll dive into a couple. Yeah, look, the, I wrote an article about this when we sold the Joseph, which was the first ever deal Andrew and I did. Uh, I vividly remember the ups and downs of that two that late two thousand sixteen, early two thousand seventeen, just sleepless nights. You know, oh, equity. Yeah. You know, I still have those to this day. Don't, yeah. don't, don't yeah. get me wrong; it doesn't never come easy. But I, looking back, we did a um, uh, we did a and it's interesting for interest rate environment. So I think it's really topical for today. So back in late 2016, if people don't remember, interest rates were thinking they were going to the moon. Mm-hmm. We were able to get a Freddie Mac loan on this on the deal, um, but it was it had defeasance on it. So mm-hmm. even when we sold that deal, we only sold that deal end of last year, end of, early this year, end of last year, we still had over a million dollars. We're six and a half, seven, six years into this deal, we're still a million dollars in defeasance because we, we locked it. Now, we locked it to raise the money because so think of the other side of the coin. We locked it with, hey, investors, we don't have interest rate risk. And we locked it at a four point, I think it was a 4.4% interest rate back in 2016, 17. We could have probably sold that deal three or four times over given where the interest rates went. Now with the feasance, you, you, that's the, they set that floor. You don't go down. Like you, you won't, so you, we're overpaying for, for, for stuff like that. Um, so that was a that was a lesson. And I always remember the, the debt broker saying, "Dude, guys, go for the floating rate, Freddie. It's fine. Like everyone does it. You'll be able to get out of it. You know, in three years' time, you'd be you'd be great." And but you well, were that, too nervous with where yeah. you thought the market was. So if you Correct. thought if you're if we go floating, uh, we're going to be paying six percent, right? Whatever. Right. And so you Which went. Is, with does this. it feel like today? <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it, it's funny because it, it, it really does. I, yeah. I remember in during that time, I was looking at a deal and I ended up not going with it because again, the interest rates were going high and I was thinking they're just going to go higher by the time I locked in. So I was, and I forgot to relook at that deal as interest rates really skyrocketed down and, and you know, should, should have relooked because man, I mean, but yeah, I just feels a lot, a lot similar. It, it, it does feel a lot similar today. So what, what does that mean for the lessons learned? Well, I'm, I'm getting more flexibility on my back end. So I, so I just, uh, you know, on, um, I, 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 we've done, your know, bridge has been the product that you're doing, you, everyone has been doing for the last two or three years. I'm now going to a fixed rate local bank at 5%. That feels good at a 65% leverage. Again, not too high. It feels like I can really jump that hurdle yep. and allows me no, def- no, no prepaid, no, no defeasance. No, it allows yeah. me to then refi, even though I'm not refiing, I'm not putting in the calculations, but it, with the 65% and the confidence in mind where I'm going to push this deal to, I think in you know, three, two to four years time, I think interest rates will come back down and I'll be able to go get something, you know, at a minimum, I'll be able to re- replace the 65% at today's rate, knowing that in three years time, I'll probably push the value 30%. Yeah. Um, so, or you can sell lot- without any Or I can sell. I can sell. Or oh, I'm buying two, so I can sell one. I'll keep the other. Yeah. So there's there's just different lessons there. On another deal, the first deal we did in uh, in Austin, we did a very similar thing, but it was a um, I forget the name. It was like a hedge. It was a local bank, but we got a and I'm going to forget the name of it. And and um, it was uh, so it it had to always stay at the five percent. So we I always set, I saw every week the hedge that I got on it would, would increase as it. So, so the bank's interest rates would go down and I'd see on my P but, but the hedge would keep getting more expensive because I had to keep it at that 5%. Mm. And there was some months that it was just like, I'm paying 60,000, $70,000 in this freaking hedge. And wow. that's, a, that's, that's pure cash flow to invest. In. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just, you do it to lock in your, your risk and I get it. But looking back, that was probably a, a pretty big, um, I don't want to say it was a mistake because it hasn't, it didn't burn us, which is a good thing. Um, but it was something that we probably could have done a little easier. And the reason I say that is because as syndicators, the biggest thing is you're growing a company as we grow Wildhorn, as I'm growing RSN, will be, what are your exits? Well, the first deal we did, we locked it in for seven years. We knew we weren't going to sell. We couldn't sell. Um, so we, but, but if we had the floating on it, we would have been able to probably sell it sooner, get that run on the board, show the investor. It just helped the story as you grow yeah. a syndication company for the individual investors on that deal. They did, they did just fine. They, they got a 18, 19% IRR and they're loving it. So why sell? Why are you selling your properties? Why, why don't you hold them for a long period of time? The, the way I structure my deals is that I get compensated once we sell, right? I, I have a pref in there nine times out of 10. Those prefs throughout the hold aren't really met unless you've got your class A, class B set up, which we do. But I'm, I'm eating last. So it makes sense for me to sell. And if you look at the, the average hold period of the, of the deals we have sold, it's about 36 months, a bit of maybe three and a half years. Um, and, and so again, back to the business of syndication versus the individual deal, mm-hmm. you then offer that investor or investors the opportunity to roll into another deal. So there's still having that cake and eating it too. They're still cake keeping in real estate. Their basis is now just, you know, they've grown their basis. So for me as an operator, it is about, I profit when that's selfish, but 
if I'm profiting, everyone else is profiting and they're doing really, really well. Like, cause I eat last, I am the last guy to eat. Well, there could be deals that you sell that you pay off investors, you give them their pref and there's no profit left. Well, guess who doesn't eat? Me. <laughs> yep. Now, I'm not saying I'm in that business to do that. And that's the risk I take. But the reason why we sell at a certain period of time is because of that. Now, that moving forward, that has been the adage for the last three, five years. Moving forward, I've set myself up that I can keep holding for if, if, if the you know, markets turn to crap and we can hold for longer than five years. Yeah. I always will model a five-year hold. But you always have the opportunity to be flexible with your exits and stick your head out and say, who wants to buy it at this point? And, you know, it's, it's again, another run on the board. It, it, it helps investors get more confidence in you and you give them back their money. There will come deals that I know that we will hold for a longer period of time. It just, you know, and probably now we're coming into that next sort of five to seven years is probably that time. Yeah, I see that potentially happening. Of course, who knows? I mean, everybody has a prediction and, and they'll all be wrong. Um, right. So who knows what's going to happen exactly? But yeah, mm. the, you're probably like you're probably right. There will be a time where it doesn't make as much sense to sell in 24 to 36 months, where it makes a lot more sense to hold for five to seven, even even maybe eight, ten years. So yeah, I'm definitely not a nerd. Like I, I, I don't think uh, why my deals are st structured. I don't anything sold within a 24 month period. That's like I'm just not structured that way the minimums would be three and a half years sort of stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's probably going to push up towards that more back to everything's going to be a five-year cycle now, you know, yeah. six-year cycle. So, yeah. Let's talk raising, uh, raising capital. You've been obviously pretty successful with raising capital. You guys have closed a lot of deals. You're um, purchasing, you just purchased a deal in Mesa, I believe mm -hmm. you said, and then mm -hmm. you're purchasing a deal in, in uh, our two deals, Green, Greenville. Greenville, that's it, yep. What, what are some of the, you know, somebody who's like, hey, I, I, got, I, wanna, I wanna syndicate or this, this is interesting to me. What are some of the, let's, let's go even, let's not, I guess let's go deeper than that. Let's, let's talk about somebody who's, who's, they've read the books. Mm -hmm. They know the basics. Mm -hmm. Like where, where would you point them? What, how? how do you get really good at raising money? How do you find the investor, I guess? Mm -hmm. If you find out that question, the answer to that question, let me know. I'm still, no, and I say that facetiously, every deal, even to this day, gives me some sort of, like I'm not going out and putting three deals on the contract. Like, I'm not raising a fund. I've done it the bootstrap way, the same way as you've done it. It's, and I look at deals and I back into what can I raise? Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing deal sizes, knowing I can raise on that money yeah. through me and my co-GPs. Right. I, you know, in my and I, that's how the business works. Um, I want to go out and buy seventy million, eighty million dollar deals, and we've done that with, with, with at Wildhorn and 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 bought in some private equity. But right now, as you sort of coming Reed Goosen's two right now it's just like back into the things that I know I can raise on. So the so the Phoenix deal, for example, is a thirty three million dollar deal, thirty two and a half million dollar deal. It was about a $13.5 million raise. I ended up only needing about 12.8 of it, but I knew 12.8, I was like, that's a good number I can hit, right? Today in, in Greenville, we're 15 and a half to $60 million. It's a little bit on the high end for me, but I, I will, I will not, I'm not going to lie. It's about a $35 million deal. That gives me a little bit of pause, but we're, we're actually filling that up quicker than what I thought I was going to fill it up. <laughs> um, so I'm backing into deals that I know I'm comfortable with. I think as we get to the 20 ish million dollar mark i'm just like 
no, no, I'm not. I, I, I can't. I, I, you really have put a gun to my head. It's sort of the the nine to fifteen million dollar range. That's a sweet spot of equity, and that that you know that will then translate into probably what a twenty five to thirty five million dollar, thirty six million dollar deal. So yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, where are you finding your investors? Same way podcast i've been doing i've got a podcast i've been going for seven years now investing in us books you know putting my face out there i'm really one of the things i'm doing now coming you know red goose and 2.0 is like i've I've spent a lot of time with with the with the brand my name is the brand i think that's important because people trust and like you in the beginning when you ask for that first hundred thousand dollars they're investing in you as the person not necessarily the deal the deal is important but they're investing in you because they trust you so especially something that's new that's right, especially someone that is new. So when I started, I started the podcast talking about my journey. I started the story. It's all about the branding. It takes years to build this up, but I've now got to a point where I'm like, I believe I've got a bit of a trusted name in my investor space that people are like, I trust him, right? Now that trust takes a long time to build up. It can be lost in an instant. Yeah. Um, but doing it through the podcasting, through the books, doing exactly the same thing that you've been doing, just slowly chipping away at it. I know there's a there's a saying in cricket called line and length. When you bowl the ball at the at the batter, you want to be hitting the ground and then coming off and, and getting a good line and a length to the wicket. Then you keep bowling that over and over again. They will you'll eventually get them out. And that's what this business is. It is not some people who are freaks and can just start right, you know raise 3 million bucks yeah. in like yeah. one email that takes years to build up. Like I, I look at email guys and we know all the guys who do, who do that and it's good on them, but this, but they've, they've either one spent a ton of money on marketing or two just have a really awesome track. Uh, sorry, network. I think the, the guys who are more successful out of the gate straight away are the guys with, you know, the bigger networks, people like you and me, we've got to keep chipping away at the, the marketing side of it, the line and length, you know, uh, analogy to just, keep growing the database so today like i'm the first two deals coming out of wild on five or six c i want to test the facebook marketing stuff i've got content out there that's already been out there for many many years why not let's just go let's go let's go let's go try it did you have i think did you do the 506 c for that mesa deal mm -hmm. yeah how did that go did you like doing the 506 c did you get reception from it or no um i got reception from it did I get investors from it? Probably not. I got a handful, but that's not the point. The point is to be in front of people. Yeah. Right? You saw it. Other people saw it. That's I'm top of mind. This next deal, this deal now, I've got a bunch of people who've come through and I'm not talking a couple hundred thousand dollars, like well over a million bucks, I think on this deal has come hmm. from literally people who I've spoken to for not even four or five times, like once after they saw a Facebook ad. Now, yeah. I'm not saying, please hear me right. I'm not saying that if you're a newbie investor to go out and start advertising on Facebook. Yeah. I have spent many, many years with the book, with the podcast, with the brand building to get to that point. Yeah. And now I've got people on my team that make that process from email to onboarding to the, the look and feel of it all. The, 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 the videography that we do, even though that needs to still work. That all make that's not just like you snap your fingers and that comes to life. It's right. taken a lot of time to get to that point. I think it will continue to grow. I think it's a more of an investment now than it is a turn on the lights and or open the floodgates and it's coming through. It isn't, it isn't that, but it probably could get there if you spent more money and more marketing dollars on it. It just depends on how how hard you want to go. And that's 
probably the biggest lesson I've learned when you see the Grant Cardones or the Brandon Turners or the, you know, the guys who are raising big dollars online. They've had, you look at their history, they've had years of content, years of content to build that trust, to then go out and ask, to then say, hey, let's do a five or six C. And I'm, you know, they're at a 10, I'm at like a, I'm at a four. So just, just slowly chipping away at it. Yeah. I would, I would echo exactly what you said though, about if you're, if you're newer and you're thinking, well, I'm going to put myself out there online. I see all these, these guys and gals that are advertising their deals and they, they got to be getting buckets full of money. Mm-mm. It's not the case. Not the, case. the first time you do it, like you said, you did it. You have a track record. You're a known entity. You, you have your podcast. You've been around for a long time. People see you, they already have some name recognition and it's easier for them to invest, but had they never heard about you, you might get some leads, but they're likely not investing in your deal. So if you're going to go out there and you're going to raise 506C money and you're a newer investor, my piece of advice or my, my, my thought behind that is you're probably going to raise about $0 out of that 506C. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's going to help you moving forward. Right. It's going to strengthen your brand. You're getting your name out there. It's name recognition. It's all about getting yourself out there. And eventually, two or three or four deals down the road, you're going to be raising some, some good money from that. But don't assume that Facebook's or LinkedIn or any of those. is just, yeah, printing money. It, it's not. It, it's not coming. It's not, it's not coming now. Right? Now, and, and I, right. I, I was talking to Ben, my new business partner, sort of the COO, and He's been handling all that back end for me. Um, you know, I just, just, I know Facebook ads work. Like people have raised money. Like I want to scratch that itch. If it doesn't work, I'll, I'll pull it. Yeah. But he was like, oh, do we really, do you want to do five or six C now? And I was like, I do because I want to show mm-hmm. the wider community that, you know, it's, it's, it's coming again. Right. So again, it's not, you're paying for not necessarily, you're paying for the two, two inches in your head. Oh, yeah. I see him again. Okay, he's got another deal out. Okay, great. Yeah. What's this deal about? You know, like it's it's that helps keep the momentum going. And momentum is really important. Yeah. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine, Omar Khan. Uh, he he taught you know he talks about momentum a lot as well. Momentum is breeds, you know, not hysteria, but just breeds more people wanting to come into the sphere. And how you use the online marketing is is a momentum builder. If that yeah. makes sense. No, it's a good point. If you do it once and that's it, and you never do it again, you, you didn't gain anything. You just you wasted get, time and money. You literally, you literally pissed it all away. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like if you if you went on to one podcast ever, did one podcast episode on your own podcast one time, it's worthless. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. So what? So everyone listening today, it's all about consistency, right? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, all right, Reed, we gotta we gotta wrap up, man. Um, I got so many more questions I kind of want to ask you, but maybe Shoot, we'll, man. Have got, have, we'll have, we have to, to do 2.0. We'll have to do 2.0. Um, how, how, well, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, I ask this to everybody. Um, I asked you this before, but it, you know, it's been a couple of years, like we said, what's a favorite book mm-hmm. for, that you can pass down to our listeners? Favorite book that I'd recommend it's non-real estate but about probably the theme of what this show is all about is Key Person of Influence by Dan Priestley. I've actually interviewed him on my show. He's an, he's an Australian author. And it's it talks about the power of exactly what we're doing here. What you've built, Todd, what I've built is, is creating yourself as a KPI, a key person of influence in your sphere. 
You do not have to be the next Tony Robbins, but you, in the people that you know, if you had a thousand followers that really loved everything that you do through creating content, through podcasting, through books, through blogging, through whatever it is, that you're going to be able to grow your business. And and, and the, 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 the premise of this book is all about, you could be a dentist, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, you could be a real estate investor. You put out the content in a, in a, in a methodical, you know, thought, thoughtful way that helps yeah. build other people's education around what you do. You could be a painter for crying out loud. You know, you could be anything. It will help 10x your, your business. Hmm. So key person of influence is a really important uh, book for those people as a sort of a segue from this conversation. Love it. Reed, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? In the business or just in, in life? You just... So, Yep. So my three pillars uh, yeah. are going to be, so there is business, there's health, and then there's, you know, um, I like to call sort of love, you know, you can, you can put religion or you can put whatever. Um, I remember doing a show after my mum passed away in 2017. I talked of the difference between um, priorities and goals. And so many people I've interviewed, probably you're the same way, Todd, that they're, they're super successful in one of the pillars right? Business, right? They put all the energy and I've been guilty of this myself. Yeah. But if you don't invest in your health or your, your family, your loved ones, having people around you, like my wife and about to have a kid, that's what we do it all for. And sometimes as we're climbing that mountain, we do get looking too far at the goal and not realizing what are our priorities in life? Because if you, if that one pillar goes away and you only have one pillar, the only way you're going to go is down. So having those three, so you know, in mine, it's, it, it's, it's, it's wealth, through the business, but it's also wealth through my health. I get, I get, I get a lot of kickback out of being physical every day. I need mm-hmm. to do it. Meditation. I, if yeah. I don't meditate every morning, I'm my day's screwed. And then my family is really important to me. I, I come from a, a strong family and the whole reason I got into this business is to create more time for them. So they're really, that's my sort of pillars of, of, of wealth in around other things in life, because it's so important, not just to be so focused on the one thing that creates you that freedom. Yeah. Love it, man. Love it. Love it. It's so easy to get caught up in one, right? Mm-hmm. And for most of us listening, it's the business part. It's the wealth Correct. creation part. It's the, it's the money part, but there's so much to wealth beyond just the money, the dollars. And like you said, you said it so well, I mean, the, the business, but the love, the health, uh, there's just, there's so much more. So I, I love that. And it's, it's just, it's just easy to get distracted though, not to get distracted, to go like laser focus on one and forget and, and, the and, others. And, 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 and I will say, hand up, I've been yeah. guilty of it. Yeah. Being guilty Myself of it. Included. So, and, and you have to go there to <laughs> yeah. know what you, you, you just, when things happen in life, like the passing of my mom those five years ago, I was like, whoa, what the fuck, what am I doing? You know, like, like you, yeah. you gotta, it could be all over like that. And you be put, yeah. So don't want to get too into that, but it's 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 really important, and, and I'm glad you asked that question because it is it is it makes you a a, a rounded entrepreneur. Love it, Reed. Uh, look, man, really appreciate the time. Um, congrats on the new baby coming. Thank you. That's uh, super I'm exciting. Nervous. Bloody yeah, it's good. Uh, congrats <laughs> on the uh, the new company, RSN. Uh, Thank you. Wish you all the best. How can our listeners get in touch with you to learn more about? You know what you got going on. You got books. You got all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. How can they learn? Easiest more? easiest way is to go to just readgoosens.com. That's R E E D G O O S S E N S dot com. You can check out all the educational stuff. There's links to if you want to invest with me. Uh, and also, if you're ever coming through Los Angeles, you want to catch up for a beer or a coffee, just to talk. Uh, you know, 
talk some shop, um, you can hit me up at info. That's I-N-F-O at reedgoosens.com. I got to ask you, Reed, you live in LA, but you do no business in LA. Why are you living in LA? Uh, I surf. That's the uh, two things. My, my wife's from here. Ah, and that's a big I surf. I, I surf. And it's also one direct flight back to Australia. So yeah. it's like there's, there's a couple of there's a couple of reasons. I couple, couple I, I, reasons. I I was I was heavily considering moving to Texas at one stage a couple of years back and I was like, I love surfing too much. Like look yeah. at Tide's equities, look at Ashcroft Capital. They're in New York and LA and they get they get it done. So, you know, why yep. can't I? So love it. Love yeah. it man. All right. Well, All you right, have brother. a fantastic rest of the day, man. Take care. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up, go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. It's a rating and review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go up to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.